from Australia, this is BK1 WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service on RF, internet streaming and text at wia.org.au. WIA National News for week commencing March 11th, 2018. This week we have the following stories. Board comment from Brian, VK2GCE. VK8QSL manager appointed. WIA and ACMA at Asia-Pacific Telecommunity Meeting. Kosovo activation success and first Tunisian licences issued. John Moyle Memorial Field Day. AMSAT teeing off and amateur anchors away. Wyong wrap-up. WSQ2 on 630 metres. Focus on QRP in June. Way low down at 17.8 kilohertz. Quantum computing and radio wave destruction. These stories and more in this edition of News from the Wireless Institute of Australia 2018 and for week of March 11th. And now across to Brian. Brian VK2GCE here. How do newcomers become radio amateurs? At the 2002 WIA convention, a visitor from the RSGB, Geoffrey Booth, sorry, G8DZJ, described the RSGB's new education system. At that time, the Australian system had five levels. Morse was on its way out worldwide. Without Morse, the Australian system would devolve to three levels. The RSGB system had three levels, and its lowest level was below the Australia's entry level a ready-made new entry course. Woo-hoo! Education in the UK is based on the Education Act of 1870, which was really a way of saving children from death by factory. It's a competitive system based on teaching objectives. Your achievement was measured by closed book responses in a fixed time, so it measured recall and literacy rather than technical knowledge. You got graded outcome levels like fail, pass, credit. In 1990, TAFE was pioneering competency-based training. It was another form of competitive education, this time with only two outcomes, competent or not yet competent. Assessment did not require a fixed time. Competence was demonstrated by your getting a certain percentage of the learning outcomes correct. Now note, Teaching objectives are what the teacher wants to achieve. Learning outcomes are what the students want to achieve. They're seldom the same. Ron Smith, Victor Keeler 4, Alpha Golf Sierra, now Silent Key, was also at that 2002 convention. He was the WIA Federal Education Coordinator and ran the education column in ARMAG for several years till his untimely death. As a senior lecturer in engineering at UCQ, Ron had hands-on experience with problem-based learning. He sent me many PBL research papers from teaching colleagues around the world. I found strong resonance. For my motor vehicle racing license, my peers on the track at the same time as me assessed me. When doing my MBA at New South Wales, my fellow students assessed me in some subjects. During my research in hospitals, I saw budding clinicians assessed by their peers. While training to be a lawn tennis coach, once again, I was assessed by my peers. 
Under PBL, the teacher is really a facilitator. Students decide their own learning outcomes and methods, and their peers assess them. Hence, the learning and assessment go together. PBL is a cooperative system. Research shows that students set and attain higher levels of competence than in the monolithic classroom model. Another beauty of PBL is that students can tune their own areas of expertise, whether EME, ATV, SATCOMS, SDR, FT8, JT65, Morse, RITI, construction, or camouflaged backhand top spin lob. By 2004, we had three models, the RSGBs, TAFE's CBT, and PBL. Whether due diligence was done on any, I don't know. But the WIA bought the RSGB's system and persuaded the ACA it was a good thing. The WIA set up a registered training organization to administer this new system of education and assessment, allegedly along CBT lines, but with the UK notion of knowledge questions answered closed book within a fixed time. Any modern day teacher can tell you that the present syllabus, which is really just lists of teaching plan topics, is not equivalent to CBT learning outcomes. The present three-tier linear model offers a single path to a hilltop that few new radio amateurs seek. Just look at the conversion rates from foundation to standard or advanced. Some believe that three levels provide an incentive for candidates to access more bands and use more power. Did anybody ask candidates whether they saw graded levels as an incentive or wanted the extra bands and power? The theory in the present foundation learning materials predates Einstein, Bohr, Heisenberg and Planck. But who needs atomic theory anyway? Is a radio amateur going to design a BJT, a FET or an IC? And does not a skerrick of computing or digital comms at any AOCP level? The new system has one benefit. New candidates for all levels must demonstrate practical ability to connect up a radio and proper communication protocols. However, along with these safety style items are open book regulations and knowledge items that pen and paper multi-guess could test rather than invigilated surveillance of page turning. In summary, I believe that we need to change the learning outcomes and the modes of learning and assessment. The present antediluvian syllabus needs flexibility and relevance. Learning and assessment must go hand in hand. 73 from Brian, Victor Kilo 2, Golf Charlie Echo. Thanks, Brian. New VK8 Inwards QSL Bureau Manager appointed. A very warm welcome is extended to Greg Winterflood, VK8 KMD, who's been selected as the Inwards QSL Bureau Manager for the Northern Territory. Greg was first licensed in 1988 as VK8 NRX and has lived in Alice Springs for nigh on 40 years. Now retired, he served Central Australia during his working career as a flying doctor, district medical officer, emergency department director, anaesthetist and general medical practitioner. He's an accredited WIA assessor and can be found most days on the ANZA DXNet. And that comes to us from John Siemens, VK3JLS, the National and Inwards QSL Manager. Now across to Brett. 
Now, international news with thanks to IARU, RSGB, SARL, Southgate AR Club, ARRL, Amateur Radio Newsline, NZART, Local News Services, VKs 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 and 9, and the worldwide sources of the WIA. Now, Australia is hosting the International Spectrum Meeting, enabling the use of future communication technologies across the Asia-Pacific region will be the focus of the Asia-Pacific Telecommunication Preparatory Group to be held from 12 to the 16th of March in Perth. The APT aims to build regional positions on radio communication spectrum allocations to take forward to global forums, in particular the 2019 World Radio Communication Conference, WRC19. Now, this is the third of five regional summits in the lead-up to the International Telecommunication Union World Radio Communication Conference in 2019. The Australian Government is proud to be hosting the third meeting of the APT and is expected to attract more than 350 radio communication leaders from over 25 Asia-Pacific countries. Representatives from the ITU and other regional groups, including the European Conference of Postal and Telecommunications Administrations and the Inter-American Telecommunication Commission, will attend the five-day meeting. The event will also see a sizeable Australian delegation, including representatives from the Department of Defence, CSIRO, Air Services Australia, Australian Maritime Safety Authority, Bureau of Meteorology, Wireless Institute of Australia and industry technical experts. More information on the APT Preparatory Group is available at the link on the email edition of the broadcast. Dale Hughes, VK1DSH, on behalf of the WIA, will be attending. From Australia, this is VK1WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service on RF, internet streaming and text at wia.org.au. Now, because of our activation success, over 80,000 QSOs were logged for Z60A's first activation. The initial operation has now closed, with delegates from 10 different countries taking part. DXs from across North America, Asia and, of course, Europe were all busy making contacts. Local station Z61DX is now a regular on the bands, with many more Kosovo voices expected to be heard on the radio spectrum. Now, the first Tunisian licence has been issued. In late 2017, the Tunisian Ministry of Telecommunications approved amateur radio licensing and has just recently issued the first licences to the 10 who passed the licence exam. A very special ceremony was held with both the Director of the National Frequency Agency, ANF, and the President of the Amateur Radio Association of Tunisia, ARART, in attendance. With a prefix of 3V, Tunisia is 192nd on the DXCC most wanted list. This is Brett, VK7FTAS. Now, across to Felix. M Radio Operational News. It's a contact sport. All major Australian contest rules and results are on the contest section of the WA website. Now, across to Dennis. Good morning. This is Dennis, VK4AE WA coordinator for the John Moyle Memorial Field Day 2018. This year the contest will occur over the weekend of Saturday the 17th to Sunday the 18th of March 2018. The duration of the contest of course will be from UTC 0100 to Saturday 0059 on Sunday. The aim of the contest is to encourage 
familiarisation with portable operation and to provide training for operation in emergency situations. During the contest, the field or portable stations very much appreciate the support from the home stations. However, in order to make the event a whole lot fairer, those field or portable stations actually take part effectively a separate event from the home station. In this way, home stations are not given unfair advantage when compared with the portable stations that do not have the advantages of permanent antenna installation, mains power and the comfort of operating from their own home QDH. Home stations are single station operations only. Club stations that are operating from their club premises are not operating portable. Last year we had a number of club stations wanting to claim portable operation from the club rooms as it was likely to be raining during the contest and they were not actually keen on operating portable. In addition there were club stations who felt that operating in the local caravan park using mains power was also a portable operation. Of course, none of these club stations were operated according to the rules or to the spirit of the contest. No matter how you plan to take part in the contest, after the activity is all over and the radio equipment has been packed away, there is one task that must be completed by all stations. They must submit their log to the contest for the validation of those contacts made with the other stations. There is actually sufficient time allowed after the contest to allow stations to complete and submit their log to the WIA. Paper logs will be accepted as long as they are postmarked before the 18th of April and electronic logs up to midnight on the 25th of April. So there is not many excuses today for not sending in your log as it can be kept electronically while the contest is underway using one of the many logging programs such as VK Contest Log by our own Mike Saborge VK3AW then you simply have to submit the print file from this program to me via one of the email addresses shown on the contest page on the WI website. Of course, by submitting your log, you automatically enter the contest and you never know. You might even get a certificate. Now is the time to carry on with your planning for the field day, as there is only two weeks to go before the event. There is still time to make sure that everything is in order and operating and all the little bits and pieces that are needed to put your station onto the airwaves are all in the desired place. Make sure that the location you have selected is still accessible after the summer onslaught from flood and bushfire and that the roads into the place have not been closed in the interests of public safety and that the trees that were so useful to string aerials and tent ropes in the past are still in good condition and safe to be around. Best of luck to all on the field day and I look forward to working a few of you on the day and most of all to receiving your log entry after the event. Thank you. Thanks, Dennis. VK Special Interest Event News. VK2. Anchors away amateurs. Waverley Amateur Radio Society set a hosting a field day on the harbour. From 10am for 6 hours, mobile operators using handheld transceivers are encouraged to make as many contacts as they can from the ferries and wharves. Home base stations are invited to work the harbour stations. The Opal Card maximum fare on a Sunday is $2.60. And with the forecast of mostly sunny and light winds, things seem set for a perfect day on the weather. 2018 Wyong Field Day, it's the 60th field day held by the Central Coast Amateur Radio Club and it's the 25th to be held at Wyong Racecourse. 
Held on Sunday, the 25th of February, the Field Day attracted nearly 800 visitors from all over Australia. The Field Day program saw a combination of field demonstrations and seminar presentations, along with exhibitors, commercial traders and car boot sales. For those who arrived early in the morning, there was a demonstration of a live contact via an amateur radio satellite. The demonstration was conducted by Central Coast Club President Bob, VK2AOR, and we caught up with Bob later in the afternoon. It's been a while since there's been a live satellite demonstration. I put a single sideband transceiver out in the paddock with batteries to support it. We did have a contact with CAS4B, which was with Bob, VK3MQ. I talked to Bob on a regular basis on the satellites. I had quite an audience there listening in to the conversations. This year's seminar program included a return visit from Space Weather Services after a very popular presentation last year. Copies of the presentation materials will be uploaded to the website fieldday.org.au. The recently upgraded Wyong Racecourse facilities meant more space undercover for traders and sellers this year, as Bob explains. The car boot sales in the concourse was a winner. A few people were disappointed they didn't get to go up on the hill and set up, but uh, they were undercover. Another innovation that we've had is the air-conditioned marquee where the traders were all assembled today. It was certainly very comfortable with uh, 95% humidity today. And despite the cloudy conditions earlier in the morning, the rain held off until late in the afternoon when most people were packing up. So this year's Wyong Field Day appears to be another success for the CCARC. With a few changes this year, there are plenty of ideas and feedback to go into planning for 2019 and the 61st event. Such an event takes much planning and hard work from all involved, and the Central Coast Amateur Radio Club would like to thank all those who contributed to the day's success. And with some final thoughts, here's Bob. I would just like to thank everyone who turned up today to all the traders. Thank you to all those that participated, just joined us and had a good time. Bob, VK2AOR there, from the Central Coast Amateur Radio Club. I'm Matthew, VK2YAP. Worldwide Special Interest Group's Final Frontier. The Melbourne University Student Space Program is on the move and we thank Gabriel, VK3EXO, for the following info. From the RF Perspective Project, personnel have successfully transmitted packets between the ground station and the satellite radio and interfaced the satellite radio with the flight computer and the satellite antenna has been deployed. The ACMA recently approved the frequency allocation request and will be taking the application to the ITU on behalf of the project team. This is a huge achievement, particularly for an entirely student-led organisation. A major milestone has been passed with power-up tests of everything to be included in the satellite, all laid out on a flat surface called a flat sat. The next step is to perform extensive software and hardware testing. The testing will be performed over the next few weeks. The Mission Operations website development is going well, and the team is on track for launch at the end of this year, early next year. From Australia, this is VK1WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service on RF, internet streaming and text at wia.org.au. MSAT. The www.msat.org site has all that you need to take your amateur radio interest into space. NASA has recently announced MSAT's Golf T and Golf 1 CubeSats that have been recommended for the ninth round of the CubeSat launch initiative. The target date for the launch of Golf T is late 2019. Other MSAT satellites, Fox 1 Cliff and Fox 1E, are scheduled for launch in 2018. And for DXs, there are plenty of rare grids and satellite QSOs to be found in orbit. Special interest groups, YLs around the world. Alara, 
Australian Ladies Amateur Radio Association, was formed in 1975. Membership now sits at over 200. There are a range of membership options for joining Alara or receiving the Alara newsletter. You can even sponsor overseas friends into Alara. Check out www.alara.org.au YLs win awards. Radio Club of America Young Achiever Award. Last week we introduced Ruth Willett, KM4LAO. This week we bring you the news that Ruth has been awarded the Radio Club of America's Young Achievers Award. Willett is a sophomore at Kettering University in Flint, Missouri, majoring in mechanical engineering and engineering physics. She alternates academic terms of school with a co-op job at Textron Special Vehicles in Augusta, Georgia. Willett, an extra-class operator, volunteers at many community events and has received several operating awards and college scholarships. The RCA Young Achiever Award is presented to students in high school or younger who have demonstrated excellence and creativity in wireless communications and who have given a presentation at the annual RCA Technical Symposium. YL wins ARRL Amateur of the Year. YL Valerie Hotzfeld, NV9L of Crescent City, Illinois, has been chosen as the 2018 Amateur of the Year by the ARRL. Valerie became a ham in 2006 and is an extra class. She was a member of the team of ham radio operators who went to Puerto Rico to help the Red Cross in their hurricane efforts last year. Congratulations, Valerie. YL's doing fun stuff. Introducing Kimberly Jansen, ZL2KEJ, and her Arduino-based CW trainer. Kimberly likes the idea of working portable from a summit, and CW is a great way to be heard if you want to operate QRP portable. She wanted something that she could practice both straight key and paddle on, but also have the ability for it to decode CW from the radio while she honed her own transcribing. She also wanted something that she could take to a summit rather than need to take a laptop, so she built her own. You can check out her build and even build your own at the link in the text version of this broadcast. I'm Kimberly Olsen, VK2 KMI for the WIA National News. Thanks, Kimberly. Worldwide Special Interest Group News, Lowdown and Digital. 630M Group playing WSQ2. Recently, the 630 meter group has been very active on a new mode called WSQ2. This mode was developed by Murray Greenman, ZL1BPU, ZL1EE, and Con Wasserlife, ZL2AFP, ZL2EE. After these two experienced some frustration with weak signal non QSO WSPR mode and slow QSO modes like JSON, so they decided to create their own and fast enough for a QSO functionality. Enter WSQ or weak signal QSO mode. It uses incremental frequency keying, IFK, making it moderately drift proof and easy to tune. It has not error correction, and even though its board rate is slower than JSON, each symbol carries more information. It is equivalent to typing about 5 words per minute. There is a new sensitive waterfall display that is used for tuning, and you can see signals in the waterfall down to minus 25 dB. 
It uses long integration to defeat impulse noise and uses phase coherent keying so you can transmit it using a typical LF stroke MF class C, class D or class E non-linear amplifier without distortion. WSQ uses 33 tones spaced 1.953125 Hz apart resulting in a signal bandwidth of 64.4 Hz including the keying sidebands. Couple that with being able to run the software on a low-range notebook and you have a weak signal QSO mode down to minus 30 dB. That is definitely worth a look. I'm Felix, VK4FUQ for the WIA National News. Worldwide Special Interest Groups, IARU Region 3 QRP Day, June 17. Ken Yamamoto, JA1CJP, who was the Secretary of IARU Region 3, reminds us of the IARU QRP Activities Day held on June 17 each year. The interest in QRP activities is everlasting in the amateur radio community worldwide. QRP Radio Communications demonstrates the high ability of radio amateurs and offers advantages like the reduction of QRM on the amateur bands and more efficient use of the radio spectrum. Back in 1997, the 10th IARU Region 3 conference held in Beijing resolved to support and promote the QRP Day, foster regular activities and publications, ensure QRP sections in national contests, and assist societies with promotion and development of QRP. Special interest groups, low down. Well, for those of us who have experienced difficulty fitting an 80-metre dipole into our backyards, have a listen to the specifications of this antenna. There was an interesting posting on the Very Low Frequency mailing list in the last week about signals on the 17.8 kilohertz, yes, high audio 17.8 kilohertz, which come from Takamo Aircraft. These are Boeing E6B Mercury aircraft fitted out with a wide range of communications equipment, including a VLF transmitter capable of some 200 kilowatts. In order to transmit at VLF, the aircraft circles slowly in a tight orbit at high altitude and runs out a trailing wire antenna. The antenna comprises a pair of wires. One wire, about 8 kilometres in length, trails almost vertically and forms the counterpoise to the shorter transmitting wire, which is about a kilometre long, which follows the aircraft more closely. These are used for submarine communications, and some experimenters in the group were measuring the phase of the 17.8 kHz signal and determining some of the parameters of the aircraft's orbit. Weird and wonderful. This week's big news from the ICT industry was Google announcing their new quantum processor, Bristlecone, a new quantum computer chip with a record-setting power of 72 quantum bits, or qubits. Traditional computers perform their calculations in binary, so every bit of data is represented as either a zero or a one. Thanks to the quirky science that is quantum mechanics, a qubit can be in a superposition of both, effectively representing both a zero and a one at the same time. This means the power of a quantum computing system scales exponentially. Two qubits can represent four states at once, three qubits represent eight, and so on. As a result, quantum computers are great at performing simultaneous operations, processing all of these states at the same time where classic computers would have to run through each in turn. Bristlecone boasts a staggering 72 qubits. These are arranged in a square array, and they get their quantum nature through superconductivity, which allows them to represent multiple states by conducting current in two directions at once. Qubits, though, are notoriously fragile, and outside fluctuations can introduce memory errors and undermine the whole calculation. 
To get around that problem, a few years ago, the Google Quantum AI Lab developed a quantum error correction, QEC, technique and demonstrated it in a system with nine qubits. What does this have to do with radio, I hear you ask? Well, there are many radio applications that use large, complex mathematical arrays to calculate, say, electromagnetic fields around antennas or Fourier transforms for weak signal work. Quantum computing would see the calculation times fall dramatically. Exciting times ahead. I'm Col, VK3LED, for WIA National News. The final final. Circuits self-destruct in response to radio waves. Perfect for spies behind enemy lines, an electronic device that can be remotely disabled. That's why scientists from Cornell University and Honeywell Aerospace have developed a method of vaporizing electronic circuits without laying a hand on the actual device. The Cornell researchers have created a silicon dioxide microchip packaged within a polycarbonate shell, and in the shell are microscopic cavities filled with rubidium and sodium bifluoride. When exposed to a certain frequency of radio waves, tiny graphene on nitride valves between the cavities open, allowing the chemicals to mix and react. This reaction releases heat and hydrofluoric acid to etch away the electronics. The process does not need water, like the previous transient electronics. Possible applications include data protection and environmental sensors that can be remotely vaporised once they're no longer needed. I'm John VK4JJW for the WIA National News Service. From Australia, this has been VK1WIA and the weekly WIA Amateur Radio News Service. On RF, we thank our rebroadcast team and you for listening. And remember, internet streaming and text of this news is available 24-7 at wia.org.au.